Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right. Hey, good morning. I am excited for today to have Dr. James Norrid from Next Generation for Christ with us today. Did I say that correct? The last name? <laughs> I always want to add a, a syllable there. But um, we've known each other for the last few years, a couple years, and he has an amazing social media presence. I love looking at all the places he travels to, all the beautiful locations, and what he does is, is uh, uh, he posts pictures and video clips of these exotic locations all over Europe and, and working with the next generation, with youth all over those continents, but then as amazing those, as those locations are, there's always a picture of someone being baptized. And I love it. I love it, and I get encouragement from him. And from just that, that, uh, that testimony on his social media, one of the few people that I know who uses it for the, the glory of God. So I'm excited uh, to have him uh, share with us today about the power of one of sharing Christ, sharing our faith. And that's what we've been talking about, right? It's sharing the God that we're forging our life on. And so I'm excited. I'm going to quit talking and have you come on up here and share with us. This is going to be great. <laughs> well, thank you, Andrew. It is a blessing and honor to be with you today. Uh, I so much love and appreciate all that you do here, how you're always seeking to reach out. I love Andrew, his heart, his passion, and I know you love him too. So thank you so much for who you are and how you are seeking to reach others for Jesus Christ. And I love y'all's social media presence as well. The great clips that are out there, I, I watch them, I follow them, and I follow you guys. So thank you for all that you do and who you are in Christ. How many of you grew up during the Cold War? Raise your hand. All right, very good. So for those of us who grew up during the Cold War time, we were scared to death that we were going to die in a nuclear war. I remember, in fact, my father saying, okay, we're, we're okay because actually when the missiles hit, we're near a major uh, city, so we're just going to die. And that's going to be better because <laughs> the worst thing was living after the nuclear strikes in the post-apocalyptic Day After, which is a famous movie that we watched, and it was like, you would rather die than live after this because it was going to be so bad. And in 1983, the movie War Games came out. How many of you have seen the War Games? It's Matthew Broderick. Okay, go and watch it if you haven't seen it. It was about a computer program that took over the nuclear launch codes and almost launched a full-scale nuclear attack against the Soviet Union, which of course would have destroyed the planet. And little known to, to myself, it, during this time, and I just recently read about this story, in that same year, in 1983, there was a real-life war game scenario that was playing out in Russia. Stanislav Petrov was a Russian officer for the Soviet Union, and he was in Russia serving in their nuclear missile early launch warning detection system. And so his job was to monitor the system to see if any, there were any incoming nukes. Kind of an important job. And he was on duty when this alarm system went off. Now, can you imagine that you've trained for this? But you're surely thinking this will never happen because if this happens, we're all dead, right? So, so he's there on duty and he hears this, you know, this is going off and he sees it. 
that there is an incoming nuclear warhead coming in from the U.S. headed towards the Soviet Union. And there was not just one, but two, three, four, five nuclear warheads that were on their way to the Soviet Union from the United States. <laughs> well, protocol demanded that immediately he was to order a retaliatory full-scale strike which would, of course, launch an entire nuclear war, which wouldn't last very long because everyone would be dead. So <laughs> he didn't quite know what to do, and he, he later said there was a 50-50 chance that what he did was right or wrong. But everyone who's watched war games know that there's no real way to win in this game, that the cat always wins. The only way to win in this game of nuclear war is to not play the game because of mutually assured destruction, which is why we survived this long, because fortunately we hadn't had to have someone crazy enough to actually launch this. So he decided, Stanislav decided not to play. Not only was he reluctant to launch a nuclear war, which is a good quality in a duty officer, but also there were some things that didn't quite fit with the scenario that was he was being alerted to. For instance, just like in war games, the satellites had never actually picked up these warheads, and he noted that. And so he decided to stand his ground, and he did not report this to his superior officers. And he decided to wait for the first missile to supposedly hit. And the first one landed, or so it was thought, that's what the screen said, and nothing happened. They were all still there. And in fact, what had happened was that this was, as he thought might perhaps be the case, a false alarm. And there had been no nuclear warheads launched from the United States. And because of his actions, or in this case, because of his self-restraint, Stanislav Petro saved the entire world. Back in 1983, those of us who were alive then, we had no idea <laughs> that one man's actions had actually just saved our lives and the entire world. We have been given the charge by Jesus Christ to save the world for him. And that may seem like an impossible task. After all, there's billions of people on the planet, but one man... One woman, one person acting in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of God and through his Holy Spirit can impact the world in an incredible way and reach many, many people for Jesus Christ. And that is the power of one. I direct a ministry called Next Generation for Christ, and we seek to share Christ here in the U.S. and around the world. It's a big charge. About half of our work's in the U.S., about half of it's overseas. Uh, of course, we've been given the charge to go out and make disciples of all nations, and so there's the whole world in our scope. But here in the U.S., we know that there are now some 100 million nuns. That's not, not Catholic nuns. That is, I mean, I don't know how many there are, but like people who are in the nun category of religion, they don't identify with any kind of faith or religion. 100 million people in the U.S., about that many, don't identify with any kind of faith or religion. So there is a huge task before us to reach the next generation for Jesus Christ. 
And one of the tools that is in our ministry that we use is called the Story of Redemption. And this is a film series that we've filmed. Most of it's filmed in Israel. They're short films, six, seven minutes long with discussion questions. And they're designed to help lead people to faith. There's evangelism, discipleship, English learning tracks. The series is now in more than 50 languages, which to me is amazing. Because it started off with just years ago trying to solve a local problem of studying with people who didn't have much of a church background, who didn't really know the Bible, and trying to find some way to share Christ with them, starting with one single study, and then God taking that and expanding that far much further than we ever could have hoped or dreamed. And God has indeed opened incredible doors in our lives and in others that we have seen who have gone on a journey to seek to share the gospel. It's amazing what God can do with our small efforts, our small hopes and dreams, our smallness in ourselves, and magnify them in an incredible way. And today I want to propose to you that the pathway to saving the world actually starts with just one. With just one. We oftentimes have big dreams, big hopes, but we can get overwhelmed by the task. We can be paralyzed and, in fact, not have any idea of where to begin. But the pathway to reaching people for Christ starts with one person taking up the mission. One person calling others to join him or her in that mission. One person coming to faith and, through that, reaching many others for Jesus Christ. We see this in Jesus' own ministry, didn't he? He, he preached to, to thousands. He, he healed and, and fed so many different people. But he also took that time to go and individually call people and say, come follow me. In Matthew's gospel, one of the, the, the famous calls, he says, come follow me and I will, I learned it, make you fishers of men. But now I will, what, send you out to fish for people. Uh, I will cause you to not only follow me, but, but you to be a part of this mission. I will empower you to be a part of this mission. And so he calls Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all these uh, that he shows up and spends this very personal time and calls them to follow him. That's perhaps the most well-known passage in Matthew of Jesus calling the disciples alongside the Sea of Galilee. But for a moment this morning, I want to look first at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, please open them up. If you still have a Blackberry, I'm sorry. But anyway, open up to John chapter 1, and we come across a passage of Scripture which shows the incredible power of one, the power of social networking, the power of calling people for Jesus Christ, and God doing something amazing from that. So in John chapter 1, uh, we see that John the Baptist is there on the scene, and Jesus, of course, is there. And it says down in verse 36, as Jesus walked by, John, John the Baptist, looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. So Jesus is there, and John the Baptist calls attention to Christ being right there in their midst. We need people who will say, Look, here's God, here's Christ, here is where he is at work. And it says that when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So by the very fact that John points out that Jesus is there, look, look at him. It caused two people 
to follow Christ, which is amazing, right? If John had kept silent, if he hadn't said anything, who knows what would have happened. It might have just stopped right there. Now, it says that Jesus looked around and he saw them following. So they are following. And he says, what do you want? So Jesus is engaging them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see, come and see. You know, I'm all about going out to where people are. That's part of being on God's mission. It's part of being a, a missional people, a sent people sent out to the world. But we also need to invite people in and say, come and see. Come check this out. See what you think. Come experience uh, this Christian community. Come experience what God is doing in this place with this people. And so Jesus invites. He says, come and see. And it says that it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him the rest of the day. Now, I've always been fascinated by this, this, this little scenario that, that is talked about here, that they go and they, they go and hang out with Jesus for an afternoon and they are there and they stay with him where he is staying. I, I've always tried to imagine, what did Jesus' like, you know, apartment look like, you know? <laughs> I mean, what did he have all up on the walls? Uh, uh, what did he watch on Netflix? Uh, did he actually watch the British baking show? I mean, come on. You know, what was his, like, daily routine in life like? I don't know, but it must have been fascinating and so incredibly cool that they got to hang out. Wouldn't you love to do that, to, to spend an afternoon with Jesus and ask him questions and, and, and spend time with him? Well, it obviously had an impact, right? Uh, it had an impact. Notice what happens next. After they spent time with Jesus, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the men who had heard what John had said and then followed Jesus. So Andrew is one of those who heard John the Baptist, and he goes and he hangs out with Jesus. Notice what happens next. Andrew went to find his brother Simon and told him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. I'm not sure if he actually said it to him. Like, we found the Messiah. By the way, that means Christ. But... <laughs> It's a little parenthetical here. We found the Messiah, which means Christ. And then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Jesus, did you catch that? It says that and then Andrew brought Simon, <laughs> come. I don't know if he like picked him up and carried him, tied him down or whatever. But we need people that will bring others to come and see Christ, to, to encounter him. And that's what he did. He, he, he found someone in his social network, right? I mean, how many of you have a, a brother, a sister, a, a, a parent, a child, a grandchild, uh, someone in your social network that you can bring to come and see Jesus? Do you know why most people check out a church, a ministry, uh, join a study? It's because someone that they know, respect, acts, actually asked them and invited them to come. There's power in that ask. And that's what Andrew does. He brings Simon to meet Jesus. And looking intently at Jesus, at Simon, Jesus said to Simon, Your name is Simon, son of John. Now, I don't know if he'd been, Jesus had been told what his name was or he just, you know, divines that as the son of God. But he says, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, Simon, of course, means shifting sand, which could mean like he's wishy-washy, but Cephas, Peter, means rock. So he's like, you've been called shifting sand. You're going to be a rock. All right? So I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking if you're Peter there or Simon, uh, you know, you'd be like, whoa, man, God, Jesus is just, you know, pronounced big things for me. 
And if you look at this progression, it is, it is truly amazing. It, and this is a model for us on, on how to reach out and, and how to get that one. It starts with John the Baptist. What does he do? He says, look, 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 check this out. Check out Jesus, the Christ is here. And, and, and we see that Andrew overhears this, right? And Andrew comes and he's got an additional one there with him. So, but it's Andrew that's really focused on. And then what happens to Andrew? Andrew goes and finds Peter who, if you follow the story of Peter, Peter becomes one of the 12 apostles. He is the one who is preaching on the day of Pentecost after Christ's resurrection. And he preaches there before all the people. And 3,000 people were baptized into Christ that day. Praise God. All because John said, look. And Andrew followed. And Andrew said, hey, here's my one. Let me take you, take you and invite you to see Jesus. And do you, do you think that Andrew had any idea that his brother would become this phenomenal preacher? You know, I mean, it's, it's truly amazing. I remember one time I, I, I actually, in college, was a ministry major a little bit later. And I got hired at a church. I was a preaching minister. And someone who had known me in my early years in college, they said, James Nord is going to be our preacher. Yeah. <laughs> Well, God can do amazing things, all right? And 3,000 people were baptized that day. Can you imagine all, all, you know, we take, as you say, pictures of baptism and stuff. Imagine all the, the, the selfies and the, the Facebooks and Instagram. I mean, okay, if we did that today, we, we would have it spread in that kind of way, right? There'd be so many opportunities. I guess back then they had the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... But we've got the Holy Spirit and social media. We've got all these tools available today to spread the gospel that are incredible. And we see that it starts again with one. And so this is a great pattern for us in how to reach out and how to reach people with the gospel. But there's one more story uh, in this, this set in John chapter 1. It says that Philip now went to look for Nathaniel. Uh, sorry, verse... Uh, 40. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. So Jesus again calls someone. He shows up. He says, Philip, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. So uh, probably not a coincidence, right? This is like spreading kind of a social network here that is spreading. Uh, people are starting to hear within the circle group. Things are popping up on Facebook and Instagram and all these things uh, about about people seeing Jesus, coming to faith, all this type of thing. And then it says that Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now, think about this. This is stuff that they had read about in, like, Sabbath school, okay? They had studied this as little kids, had this read to them. You know what? We're going to have uh, this, this Messiah that's going to come. And it would be like today, what have we read about? We've heard about, okay, the Lord's going to return, right? We've read about that, like Matthew 25, all that kind of stuff. And then it is actually happening. We're like, whoa, wait, this stuff that we've read about is like real. So when Philip goes to Nathaniel, I'm guessing he's got to be excited, right? He didn't say, yeah, we found this guy, you know. He said, no, we found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. And guess what? We even know his name. It's Jesus the son of Joseph, and he's from Nazareth. And he's excited, I'm sure, and notice Nathaniel's response. Nazareth? Really? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> Can anything good come from Nazareth? 
Now, why do you think that? A lot of probably stereotypes. There was actually a predominantly Gentile area, uh, perhaps more backwater. I mean, a lot of different things that be going on here. But just think about today. Do we, do we have places that maybe we think uh, have some certain stereotypes about? Yeah? You know, if you go down in the south, you can say, you know, those people up in D.C., they really need the gospel. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Or here you're like, all those people in the south, you know, they need to get some, anyway. Uh, Yeah, so wherever you go, there's stereotypes, right? Things, guess what? Are there stereotypes today against Christians, against Christ, against Christianity? Most of the time, people still pretty well like Christ, but Christians and churches you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of negative stereotypes, right? And some of, that, some of that is just the gospel in itself will confront people. And so there's some of that that perhaps it's hard to get away from. But then we all know that there's been times when perhaps we or others have been unkind or, or judgmental, have not acted like Christ as we ought to. And so there are a lot of stereotypes that we have to overcome. And we've got to do like Jesus did, like Philip did, and say, come and see. Check this out. Just experience it. Give us a chance and see if they don't experience something different from what they've heard, read about, or perhaps, sadly, experienced in the past that has not been good. And so when he says this, can anything good come from Nazareth? And maybe someone says, can anything good come from a church? Can anything good come from those Christians? I've heard about them. I've seen them on TV. I've seen the whatever it may be. Just say, come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. And so we see a similar type of progression in this story too. Jesus calls Philip. Philip then talks to Nathaniel, who's a little bit skeptical. And what does Philip do? He invites and he says, come and see. Come and see. It's a challenge reaching people today. We've had a whole generation that's grown up. They're not going to church. Many of them have never darkened the church door. They've had bad experiences. There's apathy What's happened in, in the U.S. is not been that people are adopting other faiths and religions. They're becoming secular and saying, I don't really identify with any of them. Kind of practical atheism or a bit of spirituality, which can be a mix of a whole bunch of different things, but not a focus upon the God that we know and worship from Scripture. But today... With all the challenges that we have, is it any more challenging than it was in the first century? (laughs) I would contend that it's certainly not any more challenging. And perhaps we have incredible opportunities before us if we will start with one. And that's where we have to start. Finding our one. Who is the person that I'm going to be praying for, reaching out to, seeking to invite and say, come and see, come and see. And we can find our one in a lot of different ways. One way, great way to get started in being about God's mission and finding people to share the gospel with, share Christ with, is to go on mission trips. I grew up in the summers going on mission trips, and we went all across Europe, and that helped me gain a heart for reaching people for Christ. 
Uh, when I was in college, I had a minister take me along with him. I guess I was his one of someone that he was kind of uh, helping bring along and started sharing the gospel with, with people in the jail. It's, it's putting ourselves in context, in places where we're likely to encounter people uh, that are open to the gospel or that just gives us enough courage or skill, you know, a courage to, to actually open our mouths because there's not as much risk because these aren't people that, are, we're, that we're so close to. Whatever the motivation, I've seen time and time again that going on mission trips is something that can help help us in, in doing this, in fact, not only overseas, but also locally. But one of the places that we went as a family about five years ago was uh, we went to a number of different countries in Europe on this trip, but one of the places that we went to was in Croatia. And there we saw God at work in some incredible ways. Uh, there were some challenges as we, as we went there, but um, some real wonderful things that developed, including... Uh, we met a, a man there named Yura Lazar who directs a ministry called Croatia for Christ. And there at that time, they, this ministry was transitioning from radio, which was dying out there, to TV. And they didn't have any kind of, uh, any kind of videos, any kind of curriculum or anything, anything any things to put on, on the television. And so they said, hey, could we take your series, put subtitles to it, Croatian subtitles, and broadcast it here? I'm like, well... Sure, if you think that'll work, because in the U.S., we don't watch anything hardly with subtitles, except for my daughter, older daughters who watch some kind of Spanish soap opera show or something like that. Um, I don't know what it is, but anyway. Uh, but it worked, and it worked great. And in fact, hundreds of people started coming in, calling in each month and, and receiving Bibles, and we started setting up studies from that. And we started working with the church there locally. They're so evangelistic. And so we saw that God opened some incredible doors. And we met a lot of different people on that trip, but because we connected with this one person who had a heart for the gospel and a heart for sharing Christ, uh, God opened some incredible doors. And so it made it a bit easier when COVID hit for us to say, you know what, why don't we continue to go on mission? Because we had seen God at work uh, during this other time. And so here we are. Uh, this is a picture of us on an airplane flying to Croatia in fall of 2020. Now, during this time, uh, almost no one was flying around the world. And in fact, uh, as a father, as a ministry leader, I'm thinking, okay, is this the right thing to do or not? And yet I came back to the fact that I'm always preaching and teaching about mission, how the early church reached out during pandemics and all this time. And we thought, well, how can we not go? And when our kids went online for school, I said, you know, we could do this anywhere. And so I said to my wife, how about we go over to Croatia, which is the only country in Europe that was open, happened to be a place where we'd done a lot of work in ministry. How about we go there for three months in the midst of a worldwide pandemic and serve and, and share the gospel at the, at the church there? And she said, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Praise God that God uh, opened our eyes to the opportunities there. And we saw 10 secret baptisms during this COVID time that were amazing. Uh, old, young men, women, people from Croatia, a young woman from Serbia. And so we saw God open some incredible doors during this time. But I'll tell you, th those 10, it started again with one, with one. And I'll tell you what happened. In February of 2020, 
uh, actually the minister from Croatia that we work with there, Mladen, he was here in the U.S., in the D.C. area, DC area. and this is a picture of us at Starbucks, and we were praying and talking about uh, all the people that we've been studying with and working with in camps and everything over the last few years, and we said, you know what, we really need to pray for this woman named Navinka, because she's like a mother hen. If she comes to faith, then probably, and, and is baptized, probably a lot of the others who are studying will make that decision as well. So we prayed there in that Starbucks for Navinka to make that faith step. And do you know that not five minutes later, Mladen pulled out his phone. He said, I just got a text from Navinka. She wants to be baptized. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. I mean, it's almost like God's at work in the world. You know, <laughs> and because she came to faith, so many others did as well. And one of those who started coming to the church and started working with the church was her daughter, whose name is Jaka. And Jaka is now working with children and with youth and helping teach English uh, with the Bible there. And we saw that on this last trip that one of the teens uh, that had been uh, reaching, been reached out to, his name was Max, was baptized into Christ. And this is the, the, the one that is in this teen group that has made that first decision to follow Christ. He's kind of a first fruits of this ministry. And we prayed for Max, and Max, in fact, made this faith decision, and he was baptized into Christ. And do you know that after this, there was a youth event, and this is, this is a newer church. They're all first-generation Christians. Everyone except the, the ministers and their children uh, are first-generation Christians. And so uh, there was a youth event that was held after this that Max invited other people to, his, his peer group and everything. There were 25 teens that showed up to that, and 23 of them were from the community. And our hope and prayer is that Max will be like Navinka for the teens and that so many others will come to faith in Jesus Christ because he has been reached and people see the change in his life. So going on mission trips can be a great way to find your one and to learn how to share the gospel. A second place that you can find your one is by studying with people online. Now, today, one of the great benefits that's happened during this, this time of COVID is that now the whole world is connected. I used to have to tell people what Zoom was. Now you got people Zooming, you know, in Croatia and, and, and in Kenya and in and Peru and all these different places. And we've set up studies in all of these different countries online with people in Israel and in uh, Peru and Ecuador in Egypt and uh, so many different places, and including the place that, that has been so incredibly productive and fruitful in Kenya. So back in 2018, I believe it was, we had gone to Kenya, spent time there, visited a lot of different ministries, made connections, but there was one person in one ministry that in particular that we connected with that had the greatest impact, and that is a man named, a wonderful Christian leader named Joel Njue. He works for a ministry called Made in the Streets and the Kamulu Church, and Joel is just one who got it. He said, you know, we're, we're trying to connect and reach out to, to churches all across Kenya. A lot of the youth are disengaged. It sounds kind of like the U.S. Like, you know, he said, they're, they're using all these old methods and everything, and the kids, we need a way to connect with them. And so uh, he, he got what we were trying to do, and he began to set up studies uh, with us, with people online, 
uh, and then doing follow-up studies with their, their weekly chapels. And so what they do is they take in teens off the street, age 12 to 14, and they give them a place to stay, uh, and it's holistic. They help them w- with food and shelter and all those things, but also teach them about God. And so we began setting up studies with people in the U.S. where each week they would go through and share the gospel, go through the story of redemption, and then they would also follow up with them in person. And we began to see God do some incredible things in this time. Uh, there, over the last year and a half, just a couple of weeks ago, we, he gave us the numbers. There were 38 uh, people who had gone through these series online that had been baptized into Christ. Praise God. And then he told me, James, there's seven more that are going to be baptized next Sunday. Then he updated that. He says, there, now there's actually 23. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. What? And, and my, my youngest daughter said, what is that, like 100 baptisms? And I said, well, almost. And in fact, if you add up all the different numbers from these different things, there have been 85 baptisms from this work and ministry. And that, to me, this is just an incredible thing that God has done in opening up doors in Kenya to share the gospel. And so, you know, the good news is that if you want to share the gospel today with people, you can do it. There are people signed up now that if you say, hey, I want to, I want to reach out, I want to find my one, you can do that with people online. And I, I can tell you my experience is these days continue to be set up. And if you go through with this, someone, I can almost guarantee you that someone in that is going to make a faith decision because that's how open they are. And that's the power of God at work. And that's what we're seeing God doing. And so you can study with people online. Look, there's all kinds of opportunities. You can invite your neighbor. You can have a study uh, on Facebook, on Zoom, uh, on your phone. If you want to reach out to people today, we have all these tools and all these choices. And then the third way, of course, we can find our one is sharing our faith in person with people, in person. Uh, my, our daughters continue to be, be online this past year, and so their classes uh, were online. And so it was kind of harder to make connections with in person with kids, like have them over and that type of thing. Plus, we travel a lot and everything. And so what we decided to do, uh, my wife uh, uh, was very good at this, and, and my daughters, is to have uh, a party at our house with some of her classmates. And so we invited them over uh, after school. Now, actually... It was going to be on a Saturday. Things got canceled because of bad weather, and so it had to be delayed a day. And so we decided to postpone it for another week. And we weren't really sure who was going to come and who was going to show up. And yet there were five kids that came to the house, and one of those was named Isaac. And Isaac is Saad's dad. And I had a great discussion with Isaac. Isaac is a man who originally grew up in India. And he actually has a Muslim background, but he was very open. He talked about how he saw a lot of similarities between Christianity and Judaism and Islam. And uh, he actually was very knowledgeable uh, of the Quran. A lot of times when I talk with people of a Muslim background, they're maybe culturally Muslim, but haven't really studied a lot. He actually did. And he said there's lots of wonderful stories about Jesus, his perspective in the Quran. And so he, he said, but I'm very open. You know, I'll read, I study. And so it was great. We had a great give and take discussion. At the end of that discussion, I said to him, I said, look, it'd be great. We're about to travel again uh, overseas, but uh, it'd be great to you know, follow up. We can go get coffee. Our kids can get together. He said, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. 
And so we exchange information, and Lord willing, I'll have the opportunity to get together and uh, to journey together with him in sharing Christ and in talking about faith and God and religion. And guess what? My wife and I had just said, you know what? When we are here, we would like to reach out more in our neighborhood with those people around us. And this Isaac just showed up. Coincidence or is maybe God at work in the world? A final story I'll share with you. There was a woman named Ada, that's at least I will use her name, call her Ada, who grew up in the Middle East. And she grew up in a predominantly Muslim country, and so she grew up kind of culturally Muslim. And yet she was a woman who was seeking to defend the rights of women. She was a lawyer. She worked in Sharia law courts because that's what they had there. And so she was one who was trying to defend women's rights, and so she was targeted by ISIS, the terrorist group. And in fact, one of her family members was brutally murdered. And so she came to the U.S. on asylum. And she showed up at the church building because some people down the street from, her, from the church, actually a Muslim family, said, go see those people over there. They'll help you with your English and help you practice your English. And so she showed up at the church. But the only reason why she came was because she thought that the church was a library. <laughs> because, first of all, she grew up Muslim. And secondly, what her experience of what faith and religion was all about had not been good. But she met a woman there in that ministry who told her that Jesus really loved and cared about women. And they were part of his followers. And so she stayed. And we started going through and studying with her. And we had just filmed this uh, video and put together this video on Jesus calling the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. And I said to the Christian worker, I said, you know what, I think this would be a great film for Ada to watch. And she said, I think so. And so we got together at 10 o'clock on a Saturday and we watched this film, which we'll show, show you now. Matthew tells us that as Jesus walked alongside the Sea of Galilee, he began to call his disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Now, Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen, and Jesus called out to them and said, Come, follow me, and I will take you from being fishers of fish to being fishers of people. I will send you out to fish for people. And an amazing thing happens. It says that immediately they dropped everything that they had, left behind their family business, and went and followed Jesus. And later, along the same seashore, Jesus would call Matthew a tax collector, and he too would immediately leave everything that he had and go and follow Jesus. Now, why would these men do this? It seems pretty radical. Well, to answer that question, it's helpful to understand something about the rabbi-disciple system in the first century. Every young Jewish boy grew up wanting to be a rabbi, and every young Jewish boy and girl would at least go to an elementary school called Beth Sofar, or House of the Book. And there, their job 
was to memorize the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, what we would call the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the best of the best would be able to graduate and go on to the next school of learning, a type of secondary school called Beth Talmud, or House of Learning. And their job was to memorize the rest of the Hebrew Bible. And from there, the best of the best of that group would be allowed to apply to Beth Midrash, or House of Seeking, which was a type of Ivy League school for would-be rabbis. Now a student would find a rabbi that he respected, someone that he wanted to be like, and he would say to that rabbi, Rabbi, I want to follow you. Now the rabbi's job was to question the would-be disciple, to seek to determine not whether or not he knew the scriptures, but whether or not he could imitate his teachings, become like him, and pass on his way of life. And if the student could answer the rabbi's questions to his liking, then he would say to him, come, follow me. And these were the words that every student longed to hear and he would leave behind his family, his job, his vocation, and he would go and become the disciple of that rabbi. Now, if the student didn't quite make the cut, the rabbi would say, ah, oh, my son, you know the Torah, you know the teaching well, but I'm afraid that you cannot be my disciple. Go home, make babies, and pray that they become rabbis. Now the very fact that in the Gospel accounts, these men are fishermen, it shows that they were not the best of the best, that they did not make the cut. And so when Jesus, a respected teacher of the law, a teacher of God's word, comes along and says, come, follow me, they can hardly believe it. And so they leave everything behind and they go and follow Jesus. Now what Jesus was saying through this was what every rabbi who said this was saying. He believed that you could become like him. And that's one of the amazing things about Jesus' call to us as his disciple. It's not based upon how much scripture we know. It's not based upon whether or not we have it all memorized. Jesus would call all kinds of people to him from all kinds of backgrounds. Men, women, rich, poor, all ethnicities, all races, and his requirement to be a disciple was this. Do you have in your heart a desire to follow him? And so many people came and became followers of Jesus. And Jesus would form around himself a loving, Christ-centered community that would be unlike any community that had ever existed. And that community would become the church. And along these waters, Jesus would further teach his disciples and shape them into his image and help them become like him. And he would send them out on mission for at the heart of being a disciple of Jesus is sharing Christ with others and becoming fishers of people. Faith is a choice and so is who we follow. We can choose to follow others we can choose to follow our own path, or we can choose to follow Jesus. 
if we want to follow Jesus, Jesus says, come, follow me. We must choose him, but he has already chosen us. So now, how about you? Where are you in following Jesus? Where are you on the path of discipleship? What benefit do you see in being part of a loving, Christ-centered community? And who can you share Christ with today? Watch this film together. I could tell that Ada was really engaged and she seemed to be impacted by it. But when the film ended, there was just silence. And then she said, from watching that video, I felt a peace come over me that I've never felt before. She said, I can see now that I can have a family here and a future. And then she said, I don't want to be Muslim anymore. I want to follow Jesus. Praise God. A few months later, I was actually down in the Dallas area, and I got a text from Ada saying that she wanted to be baptized. And, of course, I had all these meetings lined up and things to do, but because of her situation, didn't know a lot of people. And I said, I can't miss this. So I rearranged some things, flew back a day early, and we got together on a late Sunday night, just a small crowd because of her situation, and we baptized her into Christ, which was incredible. But she'd probably never seen a baptism before or know exactly what typically happens after a baptism so after she was baptized and she came up out of the water, she went up to the, stood on the front ledge of the baptistry, and she started giving a speech about why she wasn't Muslim anymore and why it was that she believed in Jesus, and it was one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen. Well, I tell you what, when we look at her story, we can see that it's a great model for us to follow because we don't have to take God out to anywhere. God is already at work in the world. She had had dreams about Christ. She had had people prepare her. She had had people, even Muslims, send her the way to the church. God is alive and at work in the world. And if we will just be brave, if we'll just open our mouths, if we'll just say, look, listen, come and see and invite someone, then God can do amazing and powerful, powerful things. And so the question that I have for you today is, who is your one? Who is your one person that you're praying for, that you're serving, that you're saying, look, listen, and that you're inviting to come and see? You have a great opportunity coming up with your friend day, with your outreach efforts here. Please be praying. Please be inviting. Please trust that God will use you and that he's already been at work in that person's life. And you know what? If they say no, that's okay. God still has more work to do. Trust that he will indeed continue to work on those hearts and that that person he is seeking to draw to him. May God bless you in all of your efforts. May God bless you as you seek to reach one that will multiply and multiply and multiply again as God intends in his kingdom. Thank you for your heart for Christ and for sharing Christ with others.
May God bless you in all these efforts.